It's me, Dr. Z with JB. Today, John and I dive into relationship patterns and why we do what we do, even when it's clearly not working for us. We discuss how patterns develop, how they're maintained, and how to break unhealthy ones. Also, John expresses his love for the Full House cast members and eating pretzels. Live from the short end. It's so loud. It's loud in your ears. Doctor Z, wow! I did it. It, it. I think I scared everybody. I think I scared everyone on the uh, on the couch to the right of me. Hi, everybody! <laughs> Hammer time, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, we have got uh, we've got snacks. We have got. Uh, except I don't think Doctor Z can hear us. And no, we weren't. I can th- hear you. I can hear you so but- well now. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the times you end up asking yourself, well, why, how did I marry my parents? Or have I married my parents? Or like, oh God, you know, and uh, Dr. Z, we need you to un- uncork a lot of these things for us tonight because I know it's, it's uh, sometimes it's always tough and it's, it's especially tough to come to grips with like, hey, maybe this is a, maybe this is a lot of your own shit, you know, you got to deal with too. And um, even just talking before, which is hilarious, like I always think there's a way to make yourself understand and be aware that you're in this mess and just like you need to get out of this vortex. And Dr. Z goes, John, you don't know you're in it. Stop pretending like you can stop and be like, oh yeah, I'm doing that thing. So I just say the more and more we talk about it, maybe we can be more aware of it. So what uh, what do we need to be aware of in, in these situations when we're like, oh my God, I'm dating and or marrying my parents? Yeah, so like you, you I mean, you described it beautifully. Job well done. But just, just yes. listen to you, I get no credit. Okay. <laughs> Um, but you know, it, it, nobody comes into my office saying, you know, I, I'm repeating old patterns and they're very toxic for me in my relationships. No, nobody comes, people come in saying I'm anxious, I'm depressed. And the reason why they're anxious and depressed is because their patterns are not working for them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, through therapy, you start to realize that you're in these unhealthy patterns, these unhealthy dynamics. And then you start to figure out, oh, okay, now I see. But mm-hmm you really only just notice that either your relationship's not working or you don't feel good about yourself or you're really anxious. That's how it starts. Yeah. And, and sometimes like, you know, when you said before in the past, like we got to understand what that anxiety is and where it's coming from and what it's trying to tell you in a lot mm-hmm. of times. And I think when we're in these situations, it's always automatic that like we just repel automatically and be like, Oh gosh, and totally, for the most part, blame it on that person that you're dating. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not going to work out in that pattern. So, like, how do you kind of start to try to at least come to grips with, like, oh, that's actually my projection. That's my action. Is there is there anything we should start to be trying to ask ourselves in these situations when we, when we you know, ask that famous question over and over again? Yeah. So I think the the, the one thing I tell people not to do is – even though we're talking about patterns and familiar patterns, but the one thing yeah. I tell people not to do is don't look so much for the pattern mm-hmm. and ask yourself if the pattern's familiar because on the surface, you could have been raised in a household where your parents were overly strict and just in your business 24-7. You had nowhere to go. It's like, you know, my kids, like, I just have to go to the bathroom. They haven't spoken to me all day, but as soon as I go to the bathroom, like, they have to, that's when they need to talk to me, right? So, <laughs> right. So it's, it's kind of like we don't necessarily um, – you're, you're not going to be very aware of the pattern. So it's not so much on the surface the behavior. It's going to be when does that 
what does that feeling remind you of? What does that feeling that you have kind of bring you back to? And not that I'm one for like, you know, tell me how you feel, la, 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 but, you know, obviously. But in this case, it's good because, you know, our emotional memories are stored differently than other types of memories. And so we can kind of draw upon emotional memories and say, okay, okay I, I felt like this before. I used to feel like this when, you know, mom would do this, dad would do this. So if you have those very overbearing parents, a common response to overbearing parents, and again, I'm giving very generalized statements here. So if you have overbearing parents and you're like, well, my parents, I don't feel that way. That's totally normal. But um, it could be you totally have a guard up because it was the only way you could kind of give yourself some, some space and some distance because you felt like you couldn't breathe. So you have that feeling of disconnect or you have that feeling of... Um, you know, kind of just not talking a lot and holding right. stuff in or very overbearing parents can make a child feel like they're not capable of making decisions on their own. They don't trust the child's judgment. They don't trust the teen's judgment, the adolescent's judgment. They do everything for them, everything from fix arguments with their friends, call the teachers if the kid got a bad grade, just again, just in their business. Right. And with good, with good intentions, with more, it's more about the parent's discomfort than the child's, but it's giving the message to the child we mommy and daddy don't feel that you're capable of handling this on your own so then you have a child that grows up thinking they can't do anything on their own they can't make decisions their decisions can't be trusted um you know their opinions don't matter as much so it can go both ways so that's why i'm saying the pattern itself is kind of the catalyst but it's more important to look at how it's making you feel rather than the actual pattern itself because the patterns can be polar opposites yes oh yeah uh, and that's a fantastic thing to understand there too is just you know um well, <laughs> yeah and it's and it's it's tough to sometimes like wrap your head around that uh because like you know it's it's totally against what your instincts are telling you a lot of the time and like i said mm -hmm. like the anxiety that you get from it doesn't really help and kind of pushes you forward there too and you kind of touch on this a, a little bit it's almost believing in that narrative a lot of the time that your parents tell you and and like you uh you were even saying like you're it's it's that familiarity that you're you kind of lean towards all the time and so when you recognize that in you know any any type of relationship but more importantly in a in a romantic relationship or uh, mm -hmm. uh yeah any anything like that like it's it's so drawn to be in that because it's the first person you love of course so that's like yeah. the the, the first time you that's learn how to love, and sorry, you're, you're not going to be able to shake that. Like, that's just, that's right. you know, and that's so. the, pro that, that's one of the, the big issues with this is that it's your, it's your, it's your parents. Right. right. And so, you know, it, it's supposed to be unconditional, right. It's supposed to be with our best interest in mind and not that it's not with our best interest in mind, but sometimes even with best interest in mind, the patterns are more about, like I said, the parents not feeling anxious rather than, you know, letting the child just be uncomfortable and learning resiliency, learning how to handle things on their own, learning how to regulate their own emotions. Um, but the narrative aspect, I just want to talk about a little bit what, what we mean by that, for those of you that are new and haven't heard us say this before, but what a narrative is, is, you know, we are, if, you, if I asked everybody to just write down five things about themselves, those five things that you wrote down about yourself is kind of like your narrative. It's how you describe yourself in relation to others, in relation to the world around you. When you're growing up as a child, you don't have a narrative, right? Because you just kind of started out. So, no. <laughs> 
exactly so um you know we're told when we when we're being raised how we are supposed to be how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to feel it shapes our world um the the problem becomes when the narrative that we're given is in the service of the parents mm -hmm. rather than kind of leaving the narrative a little open-ended for the child to kind of fall into place with a little bit of guidance, right? Not too much guidance, but just kind of a, a little bit of a roadmap to help the child develop their own narrative. Yeah. But when you have parents or a parent that, or a caregiver, whoever's around the child the most, starting to kind of put their stuff or their anxieties or what their needs are onto the child. Again, it doesn't have to be malicious. You right. start to form the narrative of this child, and that may not be who that kid is at all. And so what happens is then the child has this narrative, okay, so they're the lazy one, right? Or they're the really smart one, or they're the peacekeeper in the family. They're the, the miracle child that almost never was. And so, that, you know, so like, there's things that come from that, even though, you know, like take the miracle child, for example. I have this a lot with my patients. You know, they'll say, you know, I was you know, my, my siblings are three years apart and I'm 15 years younger than all of them. Yeah. Like, you know, kind of, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See what happened there. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting because they'll say that they were always told like you're a miracle baby and, you know, or, um, you know, we, it, you were such a surprise. Such, and, and that's great. You're here. Like, great. But at the same time, you're given a message that like, you weren't really supposed to be here, right. you know? And like, even though they don't mean that, but, and you're this miracle baby, let's say. And so you have these expectations on you that like, you're your parents' miracle. Well, like, my God, that's a lot on your shoulders. And so even though they may not intentionally say anything to you about that don't directly, don't fuck it up. Like, don't, don't, you know, just, just remember what your label is. And so yeah. kids internalize this. And so it's not even sometimes a direct narrative, but we, we take things in around our world. And then next thing you know, you know, you're 30 years old and you're in a relationship or you have certain friendships or you're in a certain career, which we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about. And something's not jiving. Something's not fitting. It doesn't feel right. Nothing feels right. And then you kind of realize that you're not getting the same stuff back that you used to get from other people in your life. You're starting to feel a little empty. You're starting to feel a little kind of shallow. You're, you're just, you just, you don't, you just don't feel yourself. Yeah. And it's because those patterns that you had, let's take the miracle baby one, for example, getting straight A's, studying your ass off, being the best in swimming and tennis and soccer and all these stuff, because you feel like you, now no one told you this, but you feel like, like you are so lucky to be here. You need to give back. You need to like be the perfect child. Right. And that may work for you growing up in your house and it may work for you in school. But fast forward 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, that pattern is going to be exhausting. And that pattern is going to get you into situations where you're striving for perfectionism, where you're never going to feel perfect because perfectionism doesn't exist and you're never going to you know, get to that level. Or you feel like nothing you do is good enough anymore and all these other people you know, are, seem to surpass you now in careers and stuff because you're so focused on things being perfect that now you're delayed in like your career or your, whatever it is. Um, your patterns don't fit anymore. And so that's when people come into my office. When their patterns 
that used to work for them, whether it was because it was what was told to them, it was survival, it was the best way for them to navigate their family system, it was the role they were given, and it worked for them. But then when they're in adulthood, it doesn't work anymore. It's like, it's like now all of a sudden you're hitting a wall, and that's when I get people in my office at yeah. that point. Yeah, and, and that's uh, exactly, and that's extremely common when everybody kind of gets to that point too is because like they just – you feel like there's literally nowhere else to go. You're trying to punch everything and everything kind of feels like a wall. And yep. you know, that's, that's when you got to be like, yep. Oh, that's right. It's, uh, it's me. <laughs> that's right. And listen, people come in. It's not like they come in and they say, you know, my patterns aren't working anymore. I need to adjust them to have my, you know, my, my behaviors align with my values. And no one's coming in and saying that what they're yeah, coming like in. Back here. It's not like, right. You know, right quick yeah. what they're coming in and saying is you know i'm sleeping all the time i um i keep dating the same type of woman over and over and over again and i keep getting in the same situations and you know they're all shitty and you know and yeah. i i just i'm unhappy in my career and i just feel stuck and you know i think i'm having like a quarter life crisis or a midlife cri whatever and and really it's that your narrative and who you are they're they just don't meet up anymore right and yeah. it's actually, it's actually a, a good, healthy thing. And so that's what I kind of work with people on is even though it's scary because you're about to change up things and go into very unfamiliar territory, I ask them, would you rather be familiar and comfortable and unhappy mm -hmm. or would you rather be unfamiliar and uncomfortable for the short term and feel fulfilled in the long term? Like those are your choices. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, Kim's saying something here and Dr. Z, feel free to come in at any time because I'm just going to let it rip. Uh, let your kids uh, uh, figure themselves out and help along the way, you know, and that is 100% true in theory. Uh, in practice, however, that is incredibly hard to do. Correct. And then, like, and, and it is the tendency to, to correct the behavior almost in, it from a thousand different pressures. And it's not even the correcting the behavior. Right. It's more so the emotion regulation. It's, it's, it's more so the parent being so uncomfortable that their child's uncomfortable, that mm -hmm. they, they jump in and save the day for their child because it takes away the parent's discomfort. Mm -hmm. Children are way more resilient than, than we are, and they can handle this stuff way better than we can. So if we just kind of sit with our own shit and let them, as painful as it is to see your child crying, hurt, being made fun of by other kids, whatever the case may be, let them figure it out. You guide them. They know you're there. But every time you jump in to save the day, to take away their uncomfortable emotions, you're giving them that narrative that they are incapable of handling their own emotions. And they're going to have a shit ton of anxiety when they get older. Oh, because yeah. Because they're going to have no way to, we talk about psychological immunity. They're going to have no psychological immunity. So when they get to college and their boyfriend breaks up with them, they're going to be in my office the next morning because they can't handle it. Mm -hmm. They can. They just don't think they can yet. Right. Exactly. Because they just need to process themselves. And they have probably had, you know, parents have probably didn't yeah. uh, do that a lot. Or obviously, like we like to say a lot from week to week. I mean, like, you know, this is all relatively being like, oh, it's okay to talk about this shit, kind of. You yes. know, right. we just got here, you know, right. and and. I never want to go through a pandemic again, but kind of thank goodness for pushing that and being like, okay, none of us can handle this shit. That's what? right. That's you know, right. I'm That's glad right. 
we're all there, which also leads me to um, what I think is important in, in trying to process a lot of this stuff as well in, you know, I, I, it's, it's easy to say you should question what your parents have told you because a lot of the time it ends up being not true and it's to really no fault of their own. They're just trying their best as well to like kind of sort that out for the most part. But yeah. looking down the line, because in, in saying that, like none of this, if it was barely talked about with my parents, then it certainly wasn't talked about, you know, previously with their yeah. parents at no, all. Definitely not. And if you can just get any information or any window from that previous generation to kind of understand why they shaped you a lot of that yeah still there coming from that previous generation as well so so two things one you nailed it again and <laughs> and um i always like to say to look at it with curiosity so look at everything yeah. with curiosity because that gives you like kind of ted lasso. what'd you say ted lasso be curious i need to watch this everyone's talking about it I feel really lame, like out of the loop. Get on it. Apple TV's free right now. Come on. Right. Anyway. Um, and the other is there's something also called intergenerational trauma. So there, it's typically when we're breaking cycles or breaking unhealthy patterns, it's usually third generation that tends to kind of break the cycle and then like reset, right? So if you think about three generations from us, Make you like a little bit of <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> Wonderfully done. Wonderfully done. Okay. So yeah. So if you're looking at intergenerational trauma, um, you know, for some of my friends, I'll use as examples whose grandparents were Holocaust survivors. So mm -hmm. you have Holocaust survivors, their children. And then the adult children, right? Like my, my friends. Exactly. And the way that the narrative is told from a Holocaust survivor in terms mm -hmm. of their, their relation to the world around them to their children and then have those children pass it on to their children, it's not necessarily the exact trauma that's being passed down, but it's the interaction style it's the narrative of how you should view yourself in relation to others it's mm -hmm. the narrative of you know how you're supposed to handle certain situations who you're you know wh who you're supposed to be and when there's a significant trauma now i'm not just talking like unhealthy patterns and you know we end up like you know dating a woman who is you know just like our mother and it's not what we wanted but now somehow we wake up and here we are like that is definitely something I want to talk about, obviously, more yeah. kind of like non-traumatic situations. But I think we would, it would be bad if we didn't discuss the impact of intergenerational trauma on patterns. But um, there's not just a, a modeling component to it. There's also a genetic, a hereditary component to it. Because, you know, a Holocaust survivor, you're, 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 the trauma and all of that, it affects your DNA. And then it gets passed oh, yeah. down again and passed down again. So you're also inheriting a lot of anxiety predisposition and, and, and predisposition to depression and um, probably substance abuse. And so there's, there's so much of that. And so if you look at, you know, a lot of like countries where there's a lot of war, right? And there is famine and there's um, a lot of illness and disease. So like just that type of trauma, 
passed down generation to generation, it's there and it lingers and it doesn't go away ever, but you can be the one to break the cycle. And so a lot of what I do with people also is helping them break the cycle that their responses. So let's take my friends who are the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. Yeah. I see they're typically very anxious people and I, I get it. I, I, they have generalized anxiety disorder. I get it because if you think about the environment they grew up in, of course, of course yeah. they're anxious, right? right. Hearing things and hearing stories and not thinking you can trust anybody and having to keep things a secret. And, you know, and, um, I, they have tremendous amount of anxiety and that third generation, they're the ones that are way more open about therapy. They're the ones that are, you know, way more willing to discuss anxiety. They may not necessarily say I have intergenerational trauma and my patterns right. are a reflection of that, but they're just going to say like, I can't stop worrying. All I do is worry. I worry about everything. I can't function. I can't concentrate. And that's kind of part of that. So that pattern is something that they were given. That narrative was something they were given, but they weren't even aware of it until they realized that it's not working anymore. Like maybe they had to worry growing up because for whatever reason it worked for them in their household. But now that they're safe, that trauma no longer exists, but yet they're responding as if it does three generations later. You don't need to be so hypervigilant about who you're around, you know, and you don't need to be so secretive about your religion and, you know, when you, you know, when the holidays are, who your neighbors are. And, you know, that, you don't have to do that. Right. Um, and so, but that's kind of still there. And so those patterns reflect that. And I think it's important to not just pull out the patterns, but show the origin of them. So you get some sort of, um, sense of control over them to know that it's, it's not just you, you know, there's a very good reason why you're behaving the way you are. Now, is it up to you to shift gears and change them because they don't work a hundred percent? So I always say like the trauma is not your fault. The patterns you were given are not your fault. The narrative you were given isn't your fault, but changing it is. Yeah. Not your fault. Is your, is your your thing to, is your issue to change? That is, it's, yeah, that's your, that's your mission. Even then it's hard to accept some of that. Yes. To, to try and well yeah uh, because you didn't ask for it yet you were given I, it you know i mean none of us growing up i'm sure all of us growing up had shit right and none of us asked for the shit that we were given right none and of us the way our parents didn't ask for the shit that they were given either exactly so, remember absolutely that, correct you know? yep and so when you realize that you were given shit that no longer works for you you can only blame your parents for so long your life isn't going to change by blaming your parents. Your life's going to stay exactly the same. You're just mm-hmm. going to be stuck. So you have to start to realize what they are and make those changes. But I have a lot of people, and I understand, you know, especially when you're dealing with abuse, like physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, why am I the one that has to be in therapy? Why am I the one that has to change my patterns? And it's because you're going to end up in the same exact type of dynamic that you grew up in if mm-hmm. you don't change that and become mindful of what you're doing in the moment you'll end up right where you don't want to be yeah yeah exactly and that's like it's a uh yeah it's really 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 important to i mean it's it's hard to question yourself but even in in the things that you were describing when you know like why are we doing these things i think that's it's a really important step in behaviorally and just starting there and being like wait why even if it's simple as like why do we do thanksgiving this way yes why why yes. do i why do we give this why do we do this yes. tra- 
it doesn't it doesn't really work right. for anyone. So my rule of thumb for that is if I if somebody's telling me that something a tradition's not working or a certain pattern's not working, what I tell people is I, I always do the kind of the, the why down the rabbit hole. So okay, well why do you why do you do Thanksgiving like that? I don't know because I do because my mom likes when we do that. Okay, but but why? Well, I don't know because her mom did. Okay, but but why? I don't know because that's how it was. But why? Well, I don't know because that's how it always was. And so when there's no dif- and I do it to the point where it sounds ridiculous. Like I purposely do that. And what they realize is that there is no legitimate reason for why a certain pattern occurs. Mm-hmm. Why don't we trust people outside of our house? Well, I don't know because that's what I was told. People are not trustworthy. Okay, but why? Well, I don't know. That's what I was told. Okay, but, but what happened to you? Well, nothing really, but like you just, I'm protecting myself. So nothing would have happened to me because I don't trust anybody. I don't tell anyone anything. And so, you know, if there's no rhyme or reason for it, yet you're still holding on to it, you're holding on to it because it's familiar, not because it works. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Familiar. Familiar, familiar, familiar. Exactly. Uh, and we don't like people. We're, we're creatures of habit. Like, you know, we, we all say we want to feel better and do better. But the truth of the matter is we want to feel better and do better without putting the effort in. Yeah. It, like, we, don't, we don't like trying. We don't want to feel bad. <laughs> honestly, like I just get this, like, like I even can catch myself hearing that. And what I honestly mean, it's like, can everybody just leave me the fuck alone for Correct. like hours? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Correct. Trying to <laughs> cut it off for 24 hours. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's, it's, and I think people like have to come, there's this moment of like, almost like a, a helplessness that happens in therapy after a while. After like, it depends on the, you know, how aware the person is, but there's this point kind of, I'd say a, a third of the way into therapy, maybe a little bit before, where the person hits a point where they actually feel helpless yeah. and hopeless. And, you know, I know people are listening saying, well, why the hell would I sit in therapy for two months and then after two months walk out and be like, wow, I feel more hopeless than I ever have. Here's the difference. The hopelessness that you feel when you come in initially is nothing I do matters. I suck. I'm not going anywhere. I'm a ha- There's nothing I can do. I'm going to be miserable my entire life. I'm going to be anxious my entire life. I've tried yeah. everything, meds, therapy, nothing works. The hopelessness you feel a third of the way in is the result of realizing that the patterns that you have are simply just that, arbitrary patterns. Yep. And that there is an entire buffet of new patterns that you can pick up and use. And when a person has that realization, it's this weird, it's this weird kind of limbo between having to let go of everything you know because now you know it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. once you realize it doesn't work, and you realize the only way your life is going to get better is if you let go of those and pick new ones, which is also horribly scary and uncomfortable. You're at this, like, this, this point where you're like, okay, so now that I know it's not going to work, I can't ignore it anymore. But if I do, I'm going to be miserable. If I don't let myself feel uncomfortable, then I'm not going to move forward. And it's, a, it's this crushing people have described it's crushing it's like this soul crushing moment where you have to make this decision and a lot of people feel really helpless and hopeless but in a in a forward moving way if that makes sense oh no it definitely definitely makes sense and uh um yeah and there is in in a lot of those those narratives can even sound uh, and this is where you know 
some of, uh, I would even say as a parent, if you're a parent right now and trying to break the cycle, you know, I, there are <laughs> a lot of friends and loved ones and you hear some of these things and like start to understand like, whoa, why, why are you saying these things about, you know, this particular kid or, or whatever it is that like, a, uh, oh man, that you're, yeah, you're so stupid. Why are you being so stupid? Even if it's kind of like a, a lighthearted thing or like, Correct. why are you being so weird or... Right. Sometimes it's the, like the direct opposite effect of like, oh, you're so smart. And like, well, maybe maybe, maybe they're not <laughs> or, or what, whatever it ends up being. But that that mixed message of just like that sticks with you forever, forever. Oh, yes. yeah, maybe I am stupid. Maybe I am weird. Maybe. That's right. And then what happens is you start to seek out experiences in your world that confirm your narrative. So mm -hmm. if you think you're stupid, you may not apply yourself as much as you could at school. Because you were just told you were an idiot and a moron, so like, why even bother? Right. And where it gets even trickier is, let's say that you know, you figure out later on, like, wait a minute, no, I know how to do this stuff. I know how to do this math problem. Like, no, I know, I know how to translate this Spanish file. Like, I, no, 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 I know how to do this. But let's say you start doing really well. Yeah. Let's just say you start doing really well. You're the, you're the dumb one, whatever. No, maybe no one's directly said it, but like, it's kind of known like, all right, this one's like, eh, I don't know what they're going to do. We'll figure it yeah. out for them. And now you start kind of kicking ass in school and you come home with these grades and you have a sibling who's the smart one. Right. And you have a parent who in a way not benefits from your poorer schoolwork, but they, they get to focus on other things with you, maybe sports, let's mm -hmm. say, right? Like, like maybe they put all their eff your effort into soccer because academia is not your thing. You're the athlete, right? So, because you can't have both apparently, right? It doesn't right. work like that. So, so what happens now, the kid's getting really good grades, wants to study more, wants to be in that kind of, you know, um, under that umbrella, Yes. And maybe they don't want to go to soccer. Maybe now they want to like stay after school and like tutor other kids. I mean, so it's not as simple as just changing patterns. Like you also just threw off the entire dynamic of your entire family. Yes. Because now the smart kid, well, now they're not the only smart kid. And it's not like people are saying like, no, you can't be the smart kid. I'm the smart kid. And like, you're yeah. the soccer player. Like, you know, yeah. it's not like the parents saying like, no, you need to be the soccer player. Like, you can't be the smart kid. No one's directly saying that. If they are, that's a whole different issue. But no one's directly saying that. But this is what the child picks up on. So if you have a child that thinks like, well, everyone's going to be pissed at me if I'm not the soccer player, guess what's going to happen? They're going to kind of just do the bare minimum in school and they're yep. not going to achieve the potential that they're fully capable of because they're trying to fill a role in their family and they're trying to create patterns. Now they're in adulthood and they're not a professional soccer player. Right. And they, Had a C let's, plus bridge. <laughs> and let's say, let's say like they just, their motivation was so low. They didn't go to mm -hmm. college. They didn't, what they did. They felt like, why bother? What's the point? And now they had this ability to reach this potential, but they didn't because they were stuck in a pattern. They didn't even know they were stuck in. Mm -hmm.
And when they realize that in therapy later on, you can imagine the anger that comes up also, right? For anger towards parents, anger towards siblings, anger yep. towards themselves. Like mm -hmm. I failed myself or I, I, I fucked up my life so bad. I could have done this, this and this, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. And now look at me. I mean, this is a lot of the stuff that I, that I see. So it's not just romantic relationships. It's also like your life, your, 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 your sense of self. Yeah, yeah, creeps right in your jobs in, in, in a lot of that, oh, yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, and going back to what you were saying, yeah, Shadia, absolutely. Uh, she's saying the, the starting is so terrifying sometimes when trying to, you know, yeah, accept where you're at that wall. And, yes, it's dumb, but it's a scary moment. No, it's not dumb at all. It's, it is your. Oh, no, it's not dumb. 100% fear of, like, I hope I don't fail at basically fixing myself or trying to better myself and, like, yeah. I just want but right and you don't want to and and this is the other thing that i think we hadn't touched on is a lot of the times before you even start you're gonna self-sabotage you know and that's that's part of that process too of just that's like right. uh, uh what's the and even kind of what you were saying like ah, uh, what's the point i'm not even gonna get to uh i'm not even gonna be able to feel better anyway so why even start now Correct. And that's where the procrastination comes in. Yeah. Or they're like, all right, well, I know I'm going to fail anyway, so why the hell should I bother studying? Mm -hmm. I'm the idiot. So even if I fail, it's not like anyone's going to look at me. Like, no one's going to get mad at me. It's expected. So it's just, it gets really, really, just really complicated. And it's so multi-layered. And it's not as simple as my mom was an alcoholic and I married an alcoholic. It's just, it's, that's why I wanted to do this in particular because, you know, people say, oh, I married my mother, I married my father. It, it's, it's, yeah, on the surface you maybe could see that, but it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. And, and this is why. Yes. And also, I mean, just as a, it, it, I think that's a true in a, in a lot of different patterns too when we're trying to identify those things too to where it might trip us up when we might even see like, oh, we're dealing with a narcissist and then realize like, uh, actually it's just this like small trait and it's what I'm familiar with and it reminds me of this other thing. And yeah, can, can easily uh, uh, get tripped up into that. And <laughs> yeah, um, uh, oh, we appreciate that. Uh, thank you. My go-to's uh, uh, chiming in Oh here. my goodness, I'm gonna tell everyone she's gonna come, but I'm gonna tell everyone Follow my go-tos if you're on here. She has Ooh. the best imitations. You will, <laughs> Al, I'm embarrassing you, but the best imitations ever. <laughs> like, I've never seen any, like I, I told her I wanted her to go by. She's so good. <laughs> so I'm going to follow her. <laughs> That's at my go, the number twos. Yeah. For the, yeah. Uh, for uh, apparently some good impersonations. So I'm oh, ready. They're for unreal. Amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't really, I can't see it, so I'm like, I couldn't. Yeah. Okay, but um, so the other thing, too, that comes up with changing patterns that keeps people stuck, it's not even just mm -hmm. fear. It's also, um, any invitations of me? I, you know what? I bet you she could. Allie, if you're listening, <laughs> people want an invitation of me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, so it's also guilt. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of guilt because even when you're a grown-ass adult and you're trying to change patterns mm -hmm. with your parents or with siblings and you know you start setting boundaries and you start setting you know rules and ground rules you know that they it's not like just because you're an adult now that all of a sudden you're going to be heard no it's still in the same dynamics still in the same you know kind of the, 
the same chaos. And so if you all of a sudden start setting boundaries with your 80 year old mother, you know, it's not like she also was going to say like, Oh, you know what? Yes, you're right. Like we should shift this now. No, this, you're, it's just, it's always the person that wants to change that is the one in therapy. And is it fair? No, I understand why people don't think it's fair, but at the same time, how lucky are you that you have the insight and awareness to be able to get out of it and to reset yourself to be where you think you should be aligned? Yeah. Stop trying to hit the brick wall. Stop trying to look for the apology to start your relationship over. Right. It's not going to happen. It's just right. not like, unless you have like the ultimate coolest switched parents of all time. Um, you're not going to get it to stop looking. That's right. And, and you also can change patterns without other people around you accepting them. Exactly. And it, that was exactly where I was going. Yeah. Because that's when, it, that's when it's your turn. And now you've got to find a solution to deal with those emotions. That's and right. Yeah, that apology. But it doesn't mean that, like, that relationship's over. It's shifted. Maybe the values changed. Maybe whatever. But figure that out before, you know, keep running into that brick wall or being scared to take that step forward as we were just... Yeah, and also, like, it, it may not even be, like, your parents may be very understanding, loving human beings who, who they still to this day don't think that the patterns that they, that, that went on in the household were unhealthy or toxic. Mm-hmm. You may think they're unhealthy and toxic because your life experiences are different than theirs and therefore they don't fit. So I don't want everyone to think that this only happens with toxic patterns. Mm-hmm. This can also happen with very normal, healthy patterns, but it just doesn't work anymore for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keep in mind if you're saying like, well, I had an amazing upbringing. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a perfect example of where it is nothing toxic in the family whatsoever, but yet the adult child is hitting, as you said, a brick wall over and over. So mm-hmm. I see this a lot and I think it's an age thing. So I don't, what, what would, what would 18 to 22 be? What, what is that? What Gen Z. Gen Z. Okay. Yeah. So, so Gen Z, I have seen this, I would say, and it's getting progressively worse over the last 10 years, let's say. Typically, when you have people come into your office that have enormous amounts of anxiety, enormous mm-hmm. amounts of guilt, it's nine, 90% of the time they come from a family that's extremely either high emotional or just toxic or just anxious or just mm-hmm. someone, substance abuse. There's just something that's making that, that anxiety just chronic. Yeah. And... What, what, it wasn't even just myself and there were articles, I think that it was in the times I have to, I'll, I think we spoke about this, but I can post it on my, on my page. But what psychologists were noticing was that these mostly young women were coming into therapy with the most ridiculously high amounts of anxiety, generalized yeah. anxiety, social anxiety, almost to the point of like non-functional they were all at really good colleges. So like in this area around here, like where we are, like we have really good, we have Penn, we have Drexel, St. Joe's, Villanova. Yep. I mean, we have Bryn Mawr College. We have, we have good schools. So None of you, them are qualified to go to, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> go Bucks. And, um, and so <laughs> you have really smart kids and you also tend to have a higher socioeconomic status of kids as well at those schools. It just, that's what happens. So 
I have these kids that come into my, my office that are in that age range, anxiety beyond anything I've ever seen, mm-hmm. come from extremely well-to-do families, and also come from, who's, who, are, who are so excited and willing to put their children in therapy, right? Because they're usually the ones paying, so it's like, you know, the initial call I get is parents. They're so thrilled and happy that their child is going to therapy. It's all they want. They don't want to go to the counseling center on campus. They want somebody off campus, and that's what happens. So they end up in my office. The parents couldn't be lovelier. Mm-hmm. And I hear this, and I hear them, and it's all, it's very similar. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, oh, my parents are great. Like every, and, and so at first I was like, all right, like everything's great thing we're doing here. Okay, like yeah, everything's but, not great. But sure. truth be told, like they really did have like good supportive parents and a good upbringing. And so then there was this article that came out on psychological immunity, which is the, this concept of children, so more Gen Z, and it's getting worse, is that children are growing up in environments where parents are not just doing things for them, like cutting their sandwiches up. Like, I mean, doing things like when I was teaching undergrad, I started, this started happening towards the end before I stopped. I would have parents call me to talk to me about their kids' grades in class. I was like, the day my mother ever picked up the phone and called my professor in college about my grades, like what? Or, you know, child doesn't make this soccer team, the tennis team and makes JV and said as a freshman or a sophomore, and parents are pissed and they call the, you know, right. or the children's fighting with their friends and mom jumps in and calls the parents and the, you know, so in all of these situations, the child who is the one feeling the emotions is the one also doing the least bit of work to try to navigate the situation. I mean, the parents can guide them, but I mean, my, my middle one is six. If she gets in a fight with her friends, like, I kind of, the parents know what's going on, but like, we let, like you, you guys handle it. You guys figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was happening was these parents were so like, just wanted to just take, just make it better. Too many damn helicopter parents. Yeah. And it, but it wasn't with bad intentions. That's the right. thing. They genuinely <laughs> wanted their children to just feel better. Right. The problem with that is, and I would say this to the patients, like, do you think they wanted you to feel better or do you also think they felt so uncomfortable that you were feeling bad so they needed to get rid of their own anxiety so they took over? And right. that's always what it is. And, and so once, the, once my patient starts to realize this, then they start to set boundaries with the parents. And now the parents are saying, like, I sent my kids to therapy and I can't talk to them because they're over 18. But yeah. I sent my kids to therapy, and now they're not speaking to me as much. Now they're not sharing things with me anymore. Now they're not telling me, like, who they go out with last night and who, how was their date. And, right. you know, it, and it, it, it's because now, like, the, the kid knows that it's okay to have some boundaries, and it's, it actually makes their anxiety so much better because now they're responsible for handling their own stuff because – now, if somebody breaks up with them, they have the emotional capability to do that. Whereas initially they get a bad grade, boyfriend breaks right. up with them, they don't get into the sorority they want, their world falls apart. Yeah. And that's where I kind of like, you know, I'm very blessed to have parents that didn't want to get involved in anything that <laughs> I wanted to do, mainly because they just probably just didn't want to know because, you know, like. I'm well, the same. I, handled, I had to handle every emotional situation on my own. And like. Yeah 
do I wish it was as extreme as it was? No. But at the same time, like, I, I can handle a lot. Yeah. I yeah, can handle I, a lot. Same, same. You know, like, it's, uh, I just, none of us wanted to know, honestly, what yeah. was, <laughs> I think that's an, I think that's a good thing. I mean, you know, there's, I don't mean like non-genuine concern and things yeah. like that, regular, but yeah, I, I, that's something that, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I tend to think that like, so yeah. I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little old to be having a, a, a firstborn. I, I admit it. I'm, 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 but, uh, but, um, you know, going, going to see like elementary school with the two boys and like kind of getting into my generation of, of, of parents and even a little younger and maybe even that Gen Z crowd. And you just start to hear and see and look at these parents and I'm just going, Oh God. You know, like they're all. First of all, they're all too pretty, and that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> and then, like you know, it's just, it is very much in that mindset of of. I don't know if you get you obviously the big story from like last summer with uh, Lori uh, Laughlin and the US, USC thing. That is a prime example. That is that is just unbelievable value on a place that like who gives a flying hoot about USC? Who cares? Yep. Who cares about Harvard? <laughs> Who cares about like we place so much value on these things that that also don't teach us anything. In right. Terms and of think about think about the patterns that those kids now have picked up that they don't they can just bypass that. Like right. you know, and it's so so it's it's and and those kids you hope to God one day realize that that pattern isn't helpful. But mm -hmm. if you continue to if you don't change your patterns, you continue to put yourselves in situations that allow you to recreate that pattern. So yeah. if you're around other people that also share that same value, the likelihood of you being objective to it, stepping outside of it, when everybody around you may be the same way, is, is, it's, it, it's, it's slim to none. You yes. know, you, there's no motivation to change. Right. Yeah. And a prime example, and, you know, again, God bless them, but it's just like the same because there was so much pressure put on my parents to go to college and you had to do it in that same exact way yeah, otherwise yeah. totally looked at as a freaking loser and all this right. other so like it had a little bit of a re reverse effect in like trying to love school <laughs> you're correct absolutely right. like wait why do i and just like oh it's okay you know like it, it, it's same same things like it's it's a um exactly right uh it, dr z and uh, speaking the truth and Looking fire as as she always does. Exactly. That's, I that, love you uh, guys. Thank you. It's uh, it's it's all a part of trying to. It's yeah. I always wanted to just like push everyone trying to recognize the patterns, and I think that's why it's like it's a it's always a good. And here's I'm gonna throw one more messed up thing into this. Oh yes, please. I told you it's multi-layered. <laughs> Let's say that you feel that way. Right, mm -hmm. that you feel like you're getting, you know, pushed into school because if you don't go, you're a total effing loser. Right? Mm -hmm. Fine. And let's say you end up doing really well. You graduate first in your class. You go to law school, Ivy League school. Graduate mm -hmm. first in your class, top attorney in the country, making six figures. And at the same time, and it's what you want. Mm -hmm. It's what you want, but yet your parents pushed you and had that pattern for so long, and you don't, you don't want them to, 
you don't want them to think that you, that, that you have adopted their style because you, you have, in the sense, that's why I say don't look at the behavior. Don't look, this is the only time you will ever hear me say, don't look at the, sur the surface behavior. I know. The only time. Because it, to an outsider, it looks like you're doing what you were taught to do. Mm -hmm. But the function of the pattern, the underlying function of the pattern, meaning the why behind the, why you're doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. is different. And that's that part that I'm telling people to look at, not the pattern up top, but the underneath. So you're going to college, you're going to law school, you're, you know, you're an international attorney, you're living in the London. I mean, you're just like, you, you, you killed it, right? Right. Because you wanted to. And then it may look like you and your parents are on the same thing, but, but there's this going on. And you may not understand why, because you're like, but I'm, I did what they told me to do, but... It's because the underlying function of it is totally different. And mm -hmm. so that's why a lot of times, too, there's, there's a lot of disconnect because you could look like you're repeating the same things, but, but in actuality, you're, you're not. There's something different. Like, you've almost kind of healed from it, even though the superficial, like, the surface stuff looks the same. That makes right. sense. Right. Yes. No, that, uh, that totally makes sense. And, and, again, another thing that you could probably throw yourself off of real quick, too, and not... Uh, uh, in, in that ping pong of going back and forth there for sure. Um, so yeah. I, I, as we're uh, kind of just in a, and I think and I want to make, uh, oop. that's why some good oh, questions in my go. batteries. Uh, but um, what is, what's probably the, the biggest thing that we can take away from, you know, tonight in general from just a, what should we be thinking about if these things continue to happen, if we feel like there's a brick wall in front of us, if we feel like we can't take that first step, like what would you, what would you uh, best takeaways from tonight for you? So if you feel like you can't take a first step, mm -hmm. ask yourself why. And if you say because it's uncomfortable or it's anxious, unfortunately moods are not reasons you can't do something, right? Like if you, if you can't go to a party because you're too anxious, that doesn't make sense. Can you can't go to a party because you don't have a car? Okay. Can't go to a party because you don't have money to get an Uber. Okay. Can't go to the right. party because you have a fever. Okay. Can't go to the party because you're anxious. No. So um, the first is if you find that you're stuck and that going backwards feels comfortable, but yet you just don't want to go there. You're scared to go back there in a sense, but you're also scared to go forward because it's unfamiliar Take the one that they're both going to be scary when you hit that, that pivotal turning point because it's that help that, well, that hopelessness stage that I was talking about. Not hopeless like nothing's, nothing I do is working, but hopeless in the sense of you really only realize now you have two, two options. Like you, now it's on you. You've got to make a decision. And so right. if you screw up, if you mess up, it's on you. It's a, you. It's a very like it's a tough feeling. And so when you're at that pivotal moment where you can go this way or this way, both of them are going to be uncomfortable. Pick the one that feels uncomfortable and unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Just keep that in mind. Which one feels familiar? Which one feels unfamiliar? They're both going to feel uncomfortable. And sometimes one will feel comfortable and one will feel uncomfortable. And again, ask yourself, which one feels familiar? And it's the one that's familiar that's going to keep you stuck. You know, because like I said, our brains, we, we're creatures of habit. Our brains like familiarity. Our brains are actually lazy. They go to very dichotomous, all or nothing ways of thinking, especially when we're under stress. So if we're under stress, 
we're going to clearly go to our behavior that's familiar to us. It's, we're not going to yeah. use that as our time to try something new, right? We talked about this all the time, like during the pandemic, we're stressed. Why are you going to take up Latin? Like of all, of all times, like, right? Like your brain's already filled up. Like, yeah. um, and so to it's, get it's that. Europe, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's, I, I be mindful of which is more familiar, which is more comfortable, uncomfortable and be, uh, you know, take inventory of that. Um, and then the other would be your, don't wait to feel like doing it. Don't wait to feel comfortable. Don't wait to feel less guilty. Don't wait to see if other people start to change too, because you'll be waiting forever. You have to change the behavior first, get the new experience, show yourself that you can do it, show yourself you can make decisions. Show yourself you're still standing on two feet. You did it. Then the mood will start to shift. And also with, with that, um, when, you, uh, when you realize for the first time of how much shit you put in front of yourself yes. for a simple movement, recognize that for the next time be like, oh, wow. Yes. So nothing that I, you know, like prepared myself for was true. And it was just this little step. And that's all I needed to do. Like that happened right. all the time, all the yep. time. Yeah. But also keep in mind, you know, you weren't in the, you were in a different mindset. So what feels like, you know, like a, like one step forward felt like climbing a mountain before. Yes. Right. And so, you know, people say, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. And then again, I kind of like to reframe that as it would have been impossible for you to do this sooner because you didn't know there was anything to do. Right. You can't make a change unless you know there's an option. Right. Like if, yeah. you, if you only eat, if you've only eaten eggs for breakfast every day of your life and that you don't know that there's any other breakfast food. Well, it's not really fair to beat yourself up and say, like, God, I wish I had known there were waffles. Well, you had no way to know there were waffles. You had no idea. Right. So you can't beat yourself up. You don't have the other option yet. Exactly. And once you have it, that's when that hopelessness kind of thing shows up when you get the other option. Yes. So. Yes. And. And again, just a reminder, uncomfortable and uncomfortable, uncomfortable, familiar. No, right. uncomfortable, unfamiliar. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's hard to determine. So one more time, uncomfortable, familiar. No. no. Uncomfortable, unfamiliar. <laughs> Very much so. We'll bring him up next time. I think it'll be, you know, we can bring Red Flag Ricky. Oh. And uh, at what time do we start every Sunday? Well, it's a that is a great question because that was oh the last yes, this is important. Yes, I think to next Sunday is the last Sunday we will be doing because I uh, forgot the the Eagles are actually playing on Monday night, so it would be very silly to start on uh, Monday and Monday when they're playing. So I can't do that. But back to back Sundays, and then the last that'll be the last Sunday next week will be of Mondays eight p.m moving forward. So that, uh, yes. that'll be, that'll be it. We'll remind you a thousand times. So yes. yes. Oh, no top gun for me. Oh man. Son of a gun. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I guess see what not. you did there. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> well played Kim. Well played. Uh, well, thank you guys. <clears throat> and, uh, thank you so much for tuning in the podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, my goodness, uh, what are you doing? It's uh, all across where you can find uh, any any one of your fine podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, uh, Stitcher, uh, Pandora, all that fun stuff. So uh, we appreciate it and thank you. 
uh, for tuning in and listening. And uh, we'll see you next week right here. Bye, guys. Bye.